Welcome to Exposed. Real people, real stories, uncensored. You'll hear it all, as well as secrets from your host, Samantha X. Nicole Madigan is a journalist and author of Obsession, a journalist and victim survivor investigation into stalking. And she talks about her three years of being stalked by a woman. Nicole, thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. You know, when I um, first contacted you, and I know this is all jokes aside, but I was really conscious of not bothering you too much and not not texting you too much and not stalking you too much, because it's something that we laugh about, isn't it? But it's it's not really a laughing matter, stalking. Yeah. No, look, it's not. And it's funny that you say that because um, I was just thinking about that recently because I've had a lot of people message me since I wrote the book and a lot of them have kind of prefaced that with an apology. I'm not trying to stalk you or anything like that. And, look, you know, it's, it's, it's really not the same thing. I mean, it's all, it's all about intent and how you're making the other person feel. So, so I'm, I'm quite open to that and I haven't been upset by that. But I think it's the terminology, I think, and the trivial way we talk about it that's more the problem, as you say. You know, we talk about stalking mm-hmm. as though it's something funny or something to brag about. We're stalking about someone, stalking someone's new boyfriend or, you know, a friend that you don't speak to anymore. And by doing that, I think it's sort of, uh, it, it sucks away the seriousness of stalking when it's actually happening for real. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's a real difference between snooping, which I'm guilty of, and full-on stalking, which is a criminal offence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, all like I mean, a, we all like a snoop. We all like we a snoop, all like don't a snoop. we? And look, that's probably a better word. You know, you're having a sticky nose or a snoop or you're, you're checking people out and, and, and you're allowed to do that. That social media is there and, and, and we're using it publicly. Yeah, yeah. So we, we know we can be seen and, and, and we know all of that. But I think, you know, the difference is, is in the motive and, and how the other person's feeling at, at the other end. I've read your book, Obsession. I really, really enjoyed it. And since we've been speaking, I have been remembering all the times I have been stalked. And I don't know whether it's just because of my previous role as Samantha, um, you know, and I come mm-hmm. across as a certain way or I come have a certain image, which is so far from the truth of what I'm really mm-hmm. like. That's a different story. But mm-hmm. I have... Um, had many incidents of being stalked. Um, I had to get a Rottweiler dog. I felt I needed a Rottweiler dog to protect me. Mm-hmm. I was stalked by some a man's mother, and it's it's almost worse when a woman's doing it. It's more, it's really unnerving when a woman starts stalking you, as you would know. And we'll get to your story soon. And I, I got a restraining order from an ex boyfriend for life. The judge said to me, um, yeah. "Usually, I give these restraining orders for year a year, but you've got this one for life." And he was a very well-to-do businessman, um, you know, mm-hmm. on paper, super successful. But the phone calls, the the, um, the constant badgering, knowing where I am, um, fifty phone calls a day—it it was exhausting. Is that how you felt? Yeah, and I think you know you you talk about you know obviously when you you have a public profile or a particular role as you say it, it just increases that sense of entitlement. I think you know a lot of times with stalking, it's obsession and it's entitlement. These people think they're entitled to to get whatever outcome they want from you, and and I guess the more well known you are, the more people feel they're entitled, which which they're not. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think when it's coming at you 
so frequently and from so many different places, um, it's such an unknown and that's what makes it so exhausting. And obviously the longer it goes on, the more it starts to, to drain on you for, for two reasons. One is because it's, it's just simply going on so long and you get worn down and, and your fear escalates. But I think, you know, that knowledge that somebody's so obsessed or fixated on you for so long is just it's very disconcerting and it's it's hard to get your head around do you think it's a mental illness look i i asked questions of that nature to a lot of the experts that i spoke to and in their view i mean i guess it it depends how you define mental illness in terms of sort of diagnosable mental illnesses statistics show that it's more often not a mental illness so there are certain types that's of interesting mm, yeah yes. I, I thought so too but again you know it, it, it depends what you mean obviously you're 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 disturbed in some way um to be engaging in this type of behavior um but yeah the statistics show in terms of diagnosable mental illnesses it's 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 not necessarily the case and in fact it's probably less common that's interesting. Do, 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 in your research, because you've done a lot of research in your book, Obsession, um, with the experts that you've spoken to and they've told you about stalkers and explained all the different types of stalkers and you've actually interviewed a stalker, which I found fascinating, do stalkers know they're stalking? So what the experts say is there's that there's sort of two, two approaches that they could take. One is a sort of a targeted campaign of fear, an ongoing targeted campaign of fear. They know they're stalking. They, they want to do it and they've engaged in a long-term plan. But the experts say that's, that's less likely to be the case. So they're sort of more likely to be viewing it as a series of individual incidences that get, that get triggered by something. So whether that's something you've done, you've posted something or you've, you've walked out of the house or whatever it may be, or something that's gone on in their own mind that, that's triggered that you know, they're not viewing it as a, as a long-term thing. And that's why a lot of the time they sort of switch focus around and, and often you'll find that people who are stalking make claims of being a victim of stalking themselves and, and sort of claim to police if they are investigated that, no, no, it's this person's obsessed with me, you know, they're, they're taking too much notice or that sort of thing. So I think, no, probably most stalkers would not describe themselves as a stalker. As stalkers. They wouldn't mm. think, no, I'm going to go on a tirade of stalking. Yeah, they were more thinking of, you know, I want this to happen or I want this answer and I'm I'm going to keep going till I get it sort of thing. According to your book, according to the experts you spoke to, there are different types of stalkers. Can you just run me through some of the types of stalkers, the most common type of stalker there is? So the most common type of stalker that, that we, we would come across, especially here in Australia, is the rejected stalker. And that's the sort of stalker that we would see most often in a domestic violence type situation. So someone who's who's been left, so, uh, you know, an ex-partner in most cases, or it could be someone who's been rejected in another way, whether that's in a professional setting, they've been fired or something like that. So their goal in stalking is to either get that person back or get that job back. And sometimes that can then obviously manifest into anger. And that's why you see that sort of shift from begging and pleading and gifts to to horrible abuse and threats and things like that. So that would be the most common. Mm. And then, of course, there's cyber stalking. Yeah, yeah. With cyber stalking, I mean, that that is extremely common these days because there's there's not much you can actually do about it apart from delete all your profiles. But you made a very good point in your book, why should you? Yeah, look, 
I, I think, you know, with the, there's five different types of stalkers and within all of those stalking profiles, cyberstalking can fall into all of them. And I think in the modern day, you know, even using the term cyber stalking is probably something that we, we need to phase out. I mean, I think the internet and social media is, is so much a part of life now that it's, it's, it's almost absurd to be, um, making a distinction like that. And I, and I think telling somebody to get off social media in the current day is, is really akin to telling someone not to go and check their mailbox because there might be something nasty in there. It's just, it's not realistic and it's, it's certainly not fair. And the laws just need to. And it's exactly, it's unfair. Absolutely unfair. Because, it's unfair. You know, I mean, social media is our business these it's, days. It's it can be our business, and, our web page or a, yeah. That's right, you know, and, and in my case it's kind of a necessary evil. And for people who don't have a business, look, I, I still feel that the, they should not be forced away from a, a social part of life that everybody gets to enjoy and they, they should be able to enjoy. It really should be the, the perpetrators that are driven away um, and have this kind of stalking treated in the same way as any type of stalking that, that's causing this kind of immense fear for people. Um, okay, so let's just go to your story now with Carissa, which I find fascinating. I'm dying. To, I mean, of course, I'm dying to know what she looks like because I'm a visual person. I'm dying to know what she looks mm. like and what kind of person she is and whether because the, the, the interesting thing is, Nicole, you only you only actually met her briefly once in the beginning, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And, and I tell even, me how that started. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say I met her. So it was it was about a year before the actual stalking started and before I was um dating my husband Adam or anything like that but we were we were at the same event we were at like a footy um off-season catch-up with the kids that we were all um mingling together and Adam was there but he was just a, a dad of one of the kids at that stage um and I was sort of in the midst of dealing with my you know the the fallout from my own marriage separation and things like that so I was tired and exhausted and didn't really want to be there um and I had noticed that there was someone else there um, sort of off to the side with a couple of kids. And I only noticed her because she was the only person that wasn't kind of in the, in the group that was there. And I was sort of just kind of finding an excuse not to make small talk really and I was taking some photos of the kids playing cricket and sort of scrolling through my phone and I heard someone say, are you taking photos of Adam? And I kind of looked up wasn't sure if they were talking to me and mumbled, oh, I'm just taking photos of my son. But then, you know, I, I saw her and she just walked straight past me and I looked at the lady next to me, it was just another mum, as if to say, like, was she talking to me or that? you? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she kind of shrugged, pulled the face and, and that was it. Yeah. And I, I, got a, I got this Facebook message request from her that night um, saying, Oh, you know, sorry about my comment today. I didn't mean anything by it. I was just seeing if you were taking photos for the footy page. So I just kind of thought, okay, like a um, bit weird, but yeah, I've got more important things to think about. So, did you get a gut feeling? It was weird. Did, did you get a gut feeling about her? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was weird. It, it definitely sort of, it, I mean, I told a few people about that, put it that way. It was weird enough for me to say, hey, I guess what happened at the Funny thing the other day, like it's a bit weird, yeah. isn't it? Um, but outside of that, I I kind of didn't give it much thought after that. Um, and then came more messages. Yes, yeah, so, about you being whether you were married or not. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So a few weeks later, um, 
yeah, I got the, this message from the same account just saying, hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah, it was all very mysterious. And I said, okay. You know, and she's like, just wondering whether you're married or not. And, and of course, in private, you know, I've gone through this separation. So I don't, I don't really want to talk about that with a strange woman. So I sort of shot back a reply. Oh, can I, can I ask why? You know, why are you asking these questions? And she's just like, oh, we've just been wondering as though it was her and her and Adam. And I thought, okay, so this must be Adam's girlfriend. You know, I'm trying to put two and two together. Why are they talking about this? And I just sort of said, oh, you know, what, what what's prompting these questions? And she says, oh, don't worry. Uh, you have beautiful kids or something like that to make me sort of think, oh, she's She's checked me out and she knows who my kids are. This is really strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I stopped answering and then, you know, maybe about a week after that I was on a little getaway with my mum just trying to recover from all the stuff that was happening in my private life and I got one more message from her, okay, we're still trying to figure out whether you're married or not and I told my mum and she said, that's enough, like just send um, that Adam a message and tell him his girlfriend keeps sending you these weird messages, you know, maybe, you know, see if he knows or not. So I thought, oh, you know, um, yeah, I've, I can't deal with this, so I'll do that. So I did that um, and he sort of came across in that message kind of mortified, to be honest, but but not totally falling over in shock. So, you know, I sort of thought to myself, well, okay, they've obviously known each other and she's a bit strange and, um, you know, it's impacting him. So I just thought, okay, I've let him know. He's told me he's blocked her and he's apologised and things like that. And I guess, you know, funnily enough, and that's the irony of the whole thing, you know, that sort of first message triggered a bit of a an ongoing back and forth between um, him and I over time. You know, a month or so later he messaged me to just check to see whether that had all died away and, you know, I made a bit of a joke and we just spent a lot of time sending messages, you know. It was kind of old-fashioned and new-fashioned in a, in a funny kind of way. It was all... Um, internet-based, but all just a lot of, yeah, letter writing, <laughs> dialogue. Yeah, that's nice. It's old-fashioned. So, I mean, the irony is, like you say, she put you, she pushed you together in a way, you know, yeah. didn't she? Yeah, well, well, I mean, you never know what happened, but that that's sort of how we started. You know, we'd, we'd never sent a private message between us before then, so, yeah. Did you like him before that, though? I didn't did you, know him did you, very did well. You, fancy you know, I was sort of engulfed in my own um private life you know football was was my son's thing and you know I saw him there along with other coaches and mums and dads and and things like that so he, he was you know my son liked him enough but it was not not in any particular standout way you know because you know I just had so much going on in my own life you know it sort of just was something that developed over time and did he say she's my ex-girlfriend? She's a bit of a nutter. How did he describe her? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, he, he at, at, at that very early time we didn't know each other very well, so he didn't go into detail at that time. Um, he just sort of said, "Sorry, yeah, this is why she's blocked from my life. She's, um, you know, I'm sorry about that kind of thing, and hopefully it won't happen again." Um, obviously, down the track when we. Um, started dating and, and, and talking a bit more, he went, you know, into a, a little bit more detail just to sort of say, yeah, you know, the, the behaviours were just a bit um, bit toxic and a bit unhealthy and so, you know, 
that's that's why I didn't it didn't you last and, and she had a bit of trouble obviously letting go and wanting to stay friends and and all of that sort of thing but it, but it really still just sounded at that point like um you know okay sometimes people have a bit of you know some people have those more possessive personality types and and that's what I assumed it had been at that time yeah and this whole yeah. dating thing was new to you anyway you know this is the first man you've dated since your yes. marriage and, and probably ever actually wasn't yes, it yes ever ever yeah yeah so it's funny because um I, I say in the book and you've probably read this you know when the actual stalking began it was, yeah. it was the night of um the our first kind of official uh function that we were holding together um and I was in a real place. The grand finals? Because, yeah. yeah, grand final days, Adam's right into yeah. the um, But we had both families there and, and things like that. So it was a it was a really nice moment of peace for me But and, and coming off the back of, yeah, a lot of nerves because it's a strange thing to be 37 as I was at that time and be essentially going on your first adult date, dating experience. So when I got that first insane message from Carissa, Carissa not being her real name, of course, um, I was just thinking, oh, God, is this, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? This is like, what dating, <laughs> this is what dating's like. Yeah, is this part of it? What am I, what do I have to prepare myself for? Is this what happens when you have ex-wives and ex-husbands and, and all of that? <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, but um. Obviously, it was, yeah, a lot a lot more than that. Okay, so I'm picturing the scene, and I had to smile because it was such a nice scene in your book, and I can relate to it. You know, you're, you're recently single, horrible separation. I can relate to that. Kids, you've met someone lovely, and you're having a real family night together, and your mum was there, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really love your mum, by the way. I really, oh. I really love your mum. Yeah, she, she's. she's uh, you're so lucky to have such support. Yeah. Yeah, and you get this, you, I think you're in bed, and you get this text message from her, don't you? Yeah, so it was about 10 o'clock and all the kids, we'd put the kids to bed and, and everyone had gone home and we were just kind of tidying up, getting ready to go to bed and I heard Sting on my phone and I just assumed it was one of my family because we're one of those families that sends a thousand thank yous at the end of each, you know, family function that we have. Um, but, yeah, I picked it up and it, was a, it wasn't her name yet at this point. It was a fake account sort of using Adam's name. So it said something like Adam is a loser or some kind of name she created. Um, no profile photo or anything like that. Um, and it was just a, a, a bunch of kind of cruel and kind of vulgar messages, you know, like enjoy my sloppy seconds, you know, enjoy sleeping in that bed that we fucked in a hundred times and all this kind of stuff, um, along with a whole bunch of other things that are um, equally as horrific, worse probably. And they just came in one after the other. Don't, 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 don't. And I'm just looking at it thinking, who the hell is this? You know, um, I'd forgotten about at that point in time, I didn't recall that moment with Carissa. I probably should have, but I just I didn't. It had been so far into the future that I was just sort of focused on um him and I and the only sort of external parties I had in my mind were, were our ex-spouses so I kind of read that and thought <laughs> I hope it's not um his ex-wife you know I hadn't heard anything terrible about her she seemed absolutely perfectly normal um and the kids were lovely so 
I showed it to him, obviously, and, you know, he had that sort of, you can see his face sink and that, like, he had made that assumption straight away. It's got to be um, Carissa. And then, um, you know, he received a whole bunch of messages that night as well. And from then on, from from that message when she said, what did you respond to that? Did you respond? No, I didn't. I, I, I didn't respond. I was just in... You know, and, and I didn't respond basically at all ever. And that's one of the things I look back on and go, you know, did I do the right thing? I, I, I don't know. But I didn't respond and I just kind of, I was just in shock and, and a bit horrified and a bit sort of devastated really that the night had taken such a, a horrible turn. And, you know, Adam and I were just kind of talking about it and he was telling me a bit more about, you know, her and some of the circumstances and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what am I, about to be dealing with here and we were just kind of talking through all that and of course while we were doing that I got a text message from my ex-husband that just said Carissa said yeah. hi um yeah that that was really creepy mm. when, when when I read that my I, my my blood went cold but yeah. had she what what happened there did she contact your ex I mean obviously she did how did she contact him was, was she seeing him was she sleeping with him what, what went on there no so you know, it's a funny thing because at the time this happened, things were not um, they things hadn't had a chance to to smooth down um, between him and I. So so we weren't talking um, at all, really, unless we needed to to work out things with the children or, or things like that. So when he sent me that, it wasn't our relationship wasn't um, something that I could reply to him and say, "Oh, what makes you say that?" You know, did she contact you? I just ignored him as well. Um, in her rambling messages to me that night, she had said, oh, I might go hit up your ex on plenty of fish. And me being totally new to that, I was like, what's plenty of fish? I had to look that up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, went from the, you went from one extreme of being almost, you know, your life so far had been so normal and, you know, yeah. you're married really. Yes. And then the other extreme where you were so exposed to this madness. Yeah, yeah. It took a, it took a really strange turn so and look fast forward you know a few years to when I was talking to my ex he he indeed told me yes that is where she found him on that dating site um and approached him and look I think he sort of indulged her for a little while and, and they did speak for a little while I, I didn't get the sense that they sort of got romantically involved or anything like that um but over time I think her behaviour even kind of freaked him out and, and he sort of said to me later when when I had um, got some success with the police and, and she'd been trying to call him at that time too, he, he called me to let me know that that was happening and told me that he'd ceased contact with her, you know, a couple of years earlier because he was starting to feel such concerns for his children. So, look, I don't know exactly what uh, she and him spoke about, but it was it was obviously enough to to frighten a, even him. <laughs> mm. How bad did it get? It was three years on and off, wasn't it, between you and Carissa? How, how bad did it get? Yeah, so it, it kind of went in two stages. So the first six months it was all pretty much limited to Facebook and um, email. So... She would just, you know, a couple of weeks after that, she sent me more messages. But that, this time they were from that same account that she'd messaged me on that 12 months earlier. So 
was her own private account, no attempt whatsoever to hide who she was or anything like that, very, very openly letting me know who it was. Um, and she would send messages at all times of night and day and randomly, and there would never just be one message. It would always be a message ding and a message ding and then a message, and I'd, I'd have to just listen to those come through. At the same time, I was also getting messages of a similar nature from other accounts in either her name or other names, um, which would usually be created after I would block them because I was trying to follow that standard advice that you get, which is to just block people. Um, but she would just make new accounts um, over and over. Um, she did go out for dinner with my ex at one point, you know, tagged herself and sent us a screenshot with a, you know, um, with this sort of uh, implying that they were concocting this big plan that they, she was going to reveal everything soon enough and, and sort of all, all this kind of, it sounds silly to say, but at the time it was it was a little bit frightening yeah. because it was yeah, of course. so intense and, and going on so long. Um, and she also contacted my mum at this point as well, how she managed to find her. I don't know. We all have private Facebook accounts, but she'd, she'd done that also. And I guess it culminated in um, she created a fake account in my name and evidently sent herself a bunch of messages, you know, from pretend me and screenshotted those and, and sent those to Adam and, and I don't know who else, um, threatened to send them to everyone we knew basically. So at that point, um, I was really freaked out and starting to, it was, it was really starting to eat away at me then. I was thinking about it all the time and I was becoming scared that she was going to do some real damage. Um, so that was the first time I called the police. Just before that, what was your mental health like? How were you dealing with this? What effect was it having on you? And, and how is it affecting you and Adam? Is, was there a point where you thought, this is just too hard, you know, I, I just, I'm going to walk away from this relationship? Yeah, so, yeah, as I said, it sort of went in two phases. So in this phase one, she was messaging both of us a lot and it was very, very focused on the relationship and and the the goal appeared to be to try to break us up um, and, and that sort of thing and, and destroy it from the inside out sort of thing. That That's what it seemed to me. And, yes, it, it did have an impact. I mean, it was, I, I described it in the book, like the bubble bursting, and that, that's how it felt for me. You know, I felt really resentful that, that this had been tarnished in this way and that, you know, I was at times being quite, um, I was quite hostile to someone that, you know, I, I'd really fallen in love with and had been nothing but, um, you know, kind and loving to me and my children. And so it was, it was a really, um, it was really a conflicted kind of feeling, you know, because I'd, I'd have logic on one side and, and emotion on the other and, and fear thrown in as well. So, you know, look, yeah, it, it was hard and there were moments when I thought, you know, is this <laughs> is this safe, I guess, you know, what what's what you know, how how much is it worth? But I guess, you know, we worked through it together and, and by the time it, it sort of was peaking and we spoke to police, we did get that reprieve. So it at when I called the police, um, it was a friend of Adam's actually. Um, mm. And his advice at that point was to not make a formal complaint because he said that can make things worse. Um, and his advice was to write her an, an official email to say, if this kind of contact continues, we're going to take legal action or something along those lines. So we took that advice and we did that. 
and we thought that had worked. It, it went silent. She did not reply to that email and neither of us heard anything for around five or six months. And we sort of just slowly fell back into normal and just thought, wow, that was just this crazy thing that had happened um, and it's behind us now. Um, to this day, she, she never contacted him again. Um, but, yeah, about five months later, it started back up again um, with text messages and then moved on to Instagram and that's when it kind of just escalated till it got, you know, quite out of control. What prompted her getting in touch with you again? Was it a post that you'd posted? Was it, you, had you been married by this, had you got married in between that stage? No. No, we, we, we were not, we had moved in together though. We had moved in together, but I don't know what prompted at that particular time. You know, I, I, I tried to think about that at the time. but it, I mean, it was close, I suppose. It wasn't that long after we had moved in together, yeah, because I, I do recall we were um, we were having a dinner at the long table in the house. So we were, we were living together and it was just another one of those moments that was spoiled, you know, like we were having a, you know, it was, I remember it well because um, Adam had made these little sliders and we were, we were having a, a really nice time and I was, I remember hearing that phone text message sound and just ignoring it because, you know, I wanted to be focused and be present for the family and everything like that. And um, as we were finishing and starting to put things away, I, I went and checked it and it was, a, it was an unknown number but it was more of the same kind of content. And I responded really differently this time. I'm like, oh. what did she, what did the message say? It was more uh, a commentary about uh, the way how I, I looked. You know, her focus was very much on on criticizing my physical appearance and saying what a you know a, an awful person Adam was, basically. And it, it was more along those lines, and telling me he was going to leave me, and you know all that sort of thing. And this time, I got I thought to myself, you know. This was ridiculous. I, I got too caught up last time and too emotional. I'm just going to ring the number. And, and, you know, I psyched myself up and I went outside and I dialed the number and, um, or clicked, you know, clicked on call. Then it just rang out and, um, there was no voicemail or anything like that. And this happened, um, you know, I got text messages from two different numbers, all the same sorts of things, just ravaging, you know, my appearance and, and, sort of rumour spreading and things like that. And I tried to call them continuously and got nowhere. I called the police for the second time at that point because I thought naively, I guess, that being a phone, um, my understanding was, you know, when all the terrorism was taking place that you had to supply your details when you got SIM cards. So I thought if I call the police and I give them her name, just check it for me. Like if you could check it and and confirm that it's her, I'm telling you what's been happening, is that enough? But they just simply said it's not that easy to go to the phone companies and they'll have them but they can't go and ask for them unless they've got a really strong cause to do that, which they did not deem this as worthy. So they, they didn't do anything about that. And I think when you're going through something like this, when the police tell you they can't do anything, it's, it, it renders you very, very helpless. It's a, it's a terrible feeling. I burst into tears when they left and really just decided at that point there is, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm going to have to decide whether I just live with it forever or I, you know, try something else. Do I 
say something back or do I, I don't know, you know, my, your mind races. What, what, what are you doing just sitting here putting up with this? But, but that's what I was doing. Mm. Um, did you ever feel that she was, did, did, she ever, did you ever feel that she was watching you? So uh, over time, yeah, because um, so at that point, you know, it, it all felt still quite distant. It felt more like, you know, sort of, you know, psychological terrorism, I suppose, from, from the outside in. Um, a couple of months after that, when she went sort of public with it, I guess that's what I kind of called it, she tagged me in an Instagram post that she made some horrible post that was about me and tagged me in it. And that was the start of, you know, a good solid six to eight months of, of sort of public harassment, I suppose. You know, she basically dedicated her entire Instagram page to me. You know, it was filled with, you know, memes and really vulgar hashtags and comments and things like that. She'd comment on my things in her own name again with with really disgusting things about you know sex and disease and um ugh, just you know things that most it's amazing people not want to put their name to and it's amazing she wasn't embarrassed by this you know <laughs> like she's a mother herself yes yeah yeah that's what makes it so terrifying because you know I, I looked at her Instagram page and I, her name's there her photos there um her kids it, it's all out of the open at, at one point her you know her children were there following her her boss as well and I just it blew my mind that you would not only want to show yourself to be harassing somebody else but the vulgar nature of some of the posts just it just shocked me that you would do that but it also made it a bit more scary um because it shows a level of uh like it, it's it's unhinged behavior um, but look, you know, with, with those posts over time, they, they became more personal. And, and in the end, she had managed to, to track down our address and she posted that online and other personal details where we had been a couple of times and where our wedding was going to be. And look, so I never really knew, you know, whether that was just knowledge or whether she had found out where we lived in Grove Park. You just never know. You just, I just didn't know. Um, and she had said at one point that she she had moved to our suburb. I never found out whether that was true. I had no way of knowing. But, yeah, it was a, a really scary feeling. And, look, when I spoke to the experts, they said to me that in many, many cases, cyber-stalking um, does lead to physical stalking and a lot of times people just don't know that that's happening, but it often is if they know where you live. And how did it all end, Nicole? I know that you reported it as cyber stalking crime. Is that right? Yeah. that's when so, it started to kick into gear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, look, I this this went on for a, lo- a lot of months, you know, this, this Instagram stuff, and it, it was really um, – it was relentless. So, and look, you know, th- there has been an argument forward. I mean, she loved to do it too and put it in there in public, but if you don't like it, don't look. Um but look, it, it, it didn't feel safe to me not to look um, and to not know what was being said about me publicly at any, at any point in time. I also wanted to record them um, just in case, you know, I still continued to do that. Um, and, yeah, so look, I was just putting up with it, I suppose, but once things started to become quite personal and that sort of private information put out in public, um, I started to become 
really, really nervous from a, a physical safety perspective. And, and I was conscious that it was ramping up. So it wasn't over time, she wasn't doing less, even though she was being ignored, it, it was getting worse. So when would it end? That's, that's how I was starting to view it. Um, around that same time, I also got an, um, a message request from another person that I did not know. When I first got it, I sort of rolled my eyes. I assumed it was another one from her, but it turned out to be from a relative of hers who had identified me from all of these posts, which was kind of terrifying in itself. But um, she was claiming to have been a victim of similar behaviour about a decade earlier and wanted to reach out and just offer some support. And it was a it just changed something in me, you know, from a couple of perspectives. One, it just validated how how I was feeling and what was happening, that, that okay, this is a person that's um, engaging in behaviour that is, that is actually bad, feeling like this is normal because this person talking to me is also feeling that way. Her fear, though, that she was expressing very strongly through these messages kind of sent the fear rising in me too though you know to hear somebody else so sort of nervous and afraid to even be reaching out to me so I thought look you know I am a mother I, I'm just going to have to try something else I can't just sit idly by so yes in the end I opted for a cyber crime report just because nothing had worked and I guess the benefit of cyber crime is you can write everything down um, and I wrote everything I could squeeze into those pages down from from the beginning to then and tried to articulate the impact of it as best as I could and look I, I filled that out and just clicked send and then for a long time nothing I didn't hear anything from them her posts continued to come and it just continued on a few months later I had a look and it said in progress referred to police or something like that so I thought oh you know um it's been referred to my local police station, so I called them and sure enough they said, yes, it's been assigned to a police officer. She's not in at the moment. She'll give you a call in the next few days and and she did that and she was incredible. So it was the first time I'd been able to speak about this and have someone, you know, outside of my mum and, and my husband respond to me in a way that made me feel like I was telling them something illegal and something, something awful, her, her reaction gave me the courage to keep talking I guess you know I didn't you know when somebody when you start to tell someone this and they giggle or they make a joke you, you kind of you retreat and, and stop talking um it's not a joke to you but but she did not do that and so I felt sort of um encouraged to keep talking and I, and I told her absolutely everything and and she was incredible um and of course she then guided me on what to do next and that was and this is the bit that's difficult, I think, for most people um, because you have to then compile all your evidence and and the onus is really on you to be able to prove that. So fortunately I had every bit of evidence. I had just a gigantic folder of um, messages and images and things that had been sent to me or about me and so I got all of those to her. Um, and she just didn't put it to the side. You know, she, she kept at it and it took a long time. It took many, many months. But, yeah, ultimately she was able to charge her with unlawful stalking. 
did you know it was stalking? Did because I, rem- I remember reading that that sh- that the pl- that female police officer actually said the word stalking, and you, you were almost shocked. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, because we'd been talking about this on and off and I'm supplying and I'm, I'm not asking too many questions. I'm just kind of telling, answering questions and, and doing what I'm told. And then she said, you know, she'll get back to me with the outcome. And, you know, I sort of thought, I'm just going to ask. And I, I sort of said to her, when, when, when you say outcome, what sort of outcome are you looking for? And she said, well, I'm hoping to be able to charge her with unlawful stalking. And I was just like, Wow, you know, I, I honestly thought we were still looking at cyber stuff, or I didn't know. I, I really didn't know how to label it, um, and it really shocked me. Um, but I was relieved too, because again, you know, it, it just validated that this is just not right. And I think I was very fortunate that that she made a decision to try to get this charge across, because it's not easy. And I think a lot of the times it, it's put in the too hard basket and that's why people get told it's social media jump off social media because evidently it does fit into stalking because in my case she was charged with unlawful stalking and there was no um physical stalking that i reported whatsoever the second time you saw carissa was when you faced her in court what was that like yeah so look i didn't have to attend court obviously because this was a police charge um so it was the police versus her as opposed to me um but look i just made a decision to go just because i just wanted to finally i wanted to face it and put closure on it and and see for myself what the outcome was and and how it unfolded so i was terrified um i decided to go with my mum and not adam um, I just was still so determined not to just, <laughs> I guess it felt like I just didn't want to give her that satisfaction that, that, that here he is. So I, I didn't, I decided not to go with him. I went with my mum who'd been a really incredible support also. Um, and we waited through an entire day of sentencing because you never know when the case, particular case is coming up. So she was last, um, and she, every time the door opened, I would kind of be looking at the door, kind of freaking out. And yeah, eventually she did walk in and it was really strange. So we were wearing masks because it was COVID and she walked in, obviously, I guess, whether she expected me to be there or not, I don't know, but um, this would only be a split second, but it felt like longer, but she walked in, I was in the corner and she just stopped right in front of me, stopped, looked me straight in the eye and I just froze. I thought she was going to say something. That's what it felt like. But then she just kept walking, sat down and just stared straight ahead and, and didn't turn around at all. And, you know, until she stood up. Did she look nervous or ashamed or, or embarrassed? Or, no, uh, she looked I mean, stony-faced. She just looked stony-faced. She just walked in, sat there, totally expressionless. She had to say, uh, you know, the only time I heard her voice and the first time I've heard it since she said, are you taking yeah. photos of Adam was when she said guilty. Um, and she just said it with no emotion whatsoever. And once it was done, that was out. walked out. It was done. And she got two years restraining order and she's not allowed to go anywhere, what, 50 metres from your house. Is that right? Yeah, 50 metres from the house, no contact, or indirect or direct. But didn't she send? Didn't she post that night, or didn't she post a few days later and say, 
I can't remember what the post was, but what, what did she do? She she didn't let it lie though, did she? No, no. So, you know, um, she had established a pretty good pattern of using um, Muppet-type characters to illustrate points. So that uh, I got home, oh, well, I dropped my mum home, so I was in here and I was talking to my dad and I was about to leave and I just, you know, I just I just had a quick look. I just thought I'm just going to see whether the account's deleted. That's what I was hoping that I would see. Um, but no, it was this, and look, it wasn't, it wasn't direct. You couldn't, you couldn't prove that this was anything, but yeah, it was just a little meme of, um, some kind of Almo character and making eye contact and a, a little quip about, you know, making eye contact with someone that you page or something like that. But it was, it was, to me, it was a pretty clear reference to that yeah. moment in the courtroom, um, and it was like hashtag good deal, hashtag who cares, you know, hashtag that kind of thing. So amazing! It that, you that know, amazes me that she, yeah, absolutely amazes me. She had the, the balls to do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you're talking about someone with children who evidently had no um, prior, you know, uh, legal issues. So I honestly thought that maybe you know. It's somebody who's got caught up over the years because the, the experts did tell me once people become obsessed and they start stalking, it just becomes addictive and it just mushrooms. And, and the more time they invest, the more time they need to invest to, to get this mysterious outcome that they're after, that this ever-reaching, never-reaching outcome. But I thought maybe something like a, a trip to court and a, a plea of guilty would <laughs> just wake so. you up and go, what the hell was I doing? Um, yeah. Can't do just go up being a parent and a normal person but um yeah so that's amazing me. yeah <laughs> yeah that's in, that's incredible um yeah. the thing I'm really intrigued about Nicole is is once this two years is over and and she would be looking at all your publicity and, and she knows you've written a book about her um mm. are you worried it's going to start again have the police warned you that it might start again I am a little bit yes look look it's been you know it's funny how time goes so quickly because it seemed at that point like that's such, that's such a long time. But in saying that, you know, three years was a really long time too for, for her to stick to that kind of feeling. Um, and the really unsettling thing about um, restraining orders that are given to you by the police and the court, so it's not something that I've sought out, it's something that was given to, to that person as a consequence for a crime, is that once that's up, it's you're back to square one. So, you know, I think that's one of the flaws in the way these laws work and that applies to domestic violence as well because once once that period is up, the behaviour can continue but it, it's considered to be starting afresh um, and I yeah. think that's what puts people in danger because it's not starting afresh. It, it, in my view, it the, the prior history should be taken into account. Absolutely. Um, if those behaviours start again. Um, so so that is a, a little bit unsettling, but I would, I would like to think and I, I very much hope that that um, a police charge and a, and a consequence like this would, would deter her. You'd I hope, hope so. <laughs> okay, I, hope, yes. I just want to run, yeah, I hope so. So I've had a few questions from people who want to know what are the red flags if someone is potentially a stalker or just super keen on you? 
Yeah. So look, the, a lot of the stalking charities overseas, we don't have any dedicated stalking um, advocacy, advocacy groups or anything like that here, but they use the acronym FOR. So it's um, fixated, um, obsession, unwanted and repeated. So you, you're talking about obsessive behaviour for one thing, um, unwanted behaviour. So if, if you do not want it to happen and it's, and it's a pattern of behaviour. So, so those three things combined is, is what makes something stalking. And look, it's a difficult thing to define, but I think listening to your instinct and your gut feeling is really important. If you're getting communication from somebody and it makes you uncomfortable, that is the time to start taking notice um, and keeping a record. Don't wait until it changes from a bit of a nuisance or super keen to stalking because by that stage, if you don't have the history, you'll never get that stalking proof, if that makes sense. So I think it's it's not stalking right at the beginning, but if it makes you uncomfortable, it's time to take notice and, and start making a record of what's happening in case it escalates. Should you say, I don't feel comfortable with this behaviour, can you stop? Because that is Look, quite I, confrontational to say to someone. Yeah. In hindsight, um, I, I mean, I think you have to think, you, you have to take into account um, your safety concerns and, and obviously mm. that's important. So, so I, I wouldn't want to encourage someone to inflame someone who could potentially be yeah. dangerous. But yeah. looking at my own situation, um, in hindsight, I, I wish I had said something um, sooner. I think silence is what emboldens these perpetrators. That, that, that's my view now. Um, and I think that's proven in the fact that many, many perpetrators of stalking and related kind of crimes like coercive control and domestic violence do it so openly. They do not attempt to hide what they're doing. Um, and in this case, um, she did it under her own name for years with, with no fear. And I think that lack of fear comes from silence. I think if, if we were right. all, um, yeah. But do you think that if you had said that she would have stopped? Because I don't think she would have done. I don't think so, no. In fact, you know, in, in this particular case, I don't think that it would have mattered what I did. It was going to continue anyway. And I think this is where, this is what makes it so serious and this is why police need to take it seriously, really. I mean, it's it's not just a squabble. It's not something that you're telling your kids, like, ignore that that mean kid in the classroom or stick up for yourself. It's It's one of those things that this person is, engaging in a type of behaviour that is out, out of the ordinary. A, a rational person does not engage in this type of behaviour, so you're not going to be able to deal with them rationally, whether you're, you're telling them to leave you alone and giving them that um, excitement of a dialogue with you or you ignore them and you make them even angrier because they're so determined to get that dialogue. So I think, yeah, you're, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, and I think the best yeah. thing to do is take a keep a record of absolutely everything and tell someone. Mm, mm. In your book, you've interviewed lots and lots and lots of women and men who have been stalked. What's the most shocking case, that the one that stands out for you? And I'll tell you what stands out for me in your book. And that was the woman who was stalked by a guy she didn't know. And then it ended up being this professional guy that rang her for professional advice 
and she knew tell us about that story i might ask that question yeah. again actually so um tell us about some of the shocking stories the most shocking stories that you heard when researching your book obsession so there were two that stood out to me um the first one was a woman who who ultimately went on to start a, a, a stalking charity in Europe. But she had been being stalked by someone she didn't know, so it would probably put her in the um, put that stalker in the predatory category. Um, and she was being stalked physically, so um, horrible things being left at her doorstep, chopped up underwear, photos of um, uh, what appeared to be a man in women's lingerie, but his face not included, and things like that. Really vulgar, scary, violent, um, rape fantasy type poetry sent to her and things like that and it was really impacting her life she was starting to withdraw from work and things like that through her work she met someone who was a professional yeah seeking her professional services and offered sort of some light emotional support how are you doing you don't seem like yourself and and that sort of thing and that little bit of care gave her that nice feeling and she corresponded with him now and again and she was reporting things to the police and, and going through all of this, and it was ongoing. And then one night out of the blue, and who knows what possessed him to confess this particular time, she would messaged him saying, you know, just checking in or something like that. And he had replied something really vulgar, like he was wearing her underwear on his head or something, something really disgusting. And that just the statement that he had made was just enough to let her know, hey, it was me all along. And that ultimately that led makes, to that makes my hairs go up. Yeah, isn't that yeah. makes me? Oh, it's it's yeah, you, it's you awful. Something like that. Absolutely horrible. Mm, awful. And look, the other one that stood out to me, if I have time to say, just because of the outcome, was a, a woman uh, in Australia who had been at a bar with some mum friends and met a man there, not in a romantic way, but just in, in a group setting way who was from a similar industry. For, um, she was trying to be a personal trainer and, and he was going to offer her some advice. So they exchanged numbers. Um, and he, it, it, it became evident really quickly that he was interested in more than that. And he started sending her all these crazy messages of um, ranging from abuse to love and demands and all this insanity. But Look, the, the reason this story horrified me so much is when she confided in her husband, he, his assumption was that she was to blame in some way and she must have brought this on herself. And, and their marriage ultimately broke down because of it. And I think that is just absolutely devastating a consequence, life consequence that, that has happened to this woman because of somebody else's actions and because people feel quite okay to, to do this to people. And, and, and society's attitudes have a long way to go what where can so if someone thinks they're being stalked if someone is being stalked what what advice do you have what what are the number what are the top three things that they should do today i think listen to your instinct is the first one if you feel uncomfortable you probably should be uncomfortable and you should take notice uh, the second thing is to record absolutely everything no matter how trivial it seems or or how horrible it is if you don't want it around you can always tuck it away somewhere where you don't have to look at it but um record everything before you delete anything um take photos of anything that are left and, and, and keep keep a diary and a note of dates and things like that and the third thing i would say is tell somebody and keep telling people so when you tell someone something like this there is a high chance that you're going to be met with a dismissive response. It's just a fact that's how people view it. But you won't always be. So I think if you tell someone and that's what you get, 
tell somebody else, tell the police if they don't respond, go to a different police station or, or try a different avenue, but continue with it. Because I think in this particular case, a stalking is illegal. It is a crime. So sometimes it's a case of the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So I think it's, it's important to keep strong and keep telling people and don't think that you just have to put up with it and go through it alone. And there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. And, and that's a difficult one because the nature of these type of crimes are very personal um, and very targeted. So, and the perpetrators are quite skillful at, at creating shame and embarrassment and humiliation. And that was the, one of the main reasons I didn't tell anybody. I knew I did not want anyone to be looking at this stuff about me. So I didn't tell anyone about it. Um, but that became a scary prospect at the end when she started to go public because I thought, you know, I haven't told anyone about this. How am I going to explain this if it, if it, if it all blows up um, now? So, yeah, I think you've got to stand strong while also, of course, you know, protecting your safety. And you're the ambassador now to a charity, to a domestic violence victim survivor tri- charity. So what are, you, what are you doing next? What's, what's next for you, Nicole? Yeah, so look, I, I've been quite passionate about domestic violence for a long time as well, um, and working with groups and, and writing about domestic violence. So it's a, it, it was a, it was strange actually because while this was all going on, you know, I was writing a lot about coercive control, and there are quite a few parallels between those two crimes because you know they both use legal means to engage in an overall illegal behaviour. So. Um, there are some yeah, crossovers there and it's quite interesting. But I'm on the board, uh, I'm a non-executive board member for Friends with Dignity and have been for a while. But so I'm, I've, I've jumped on as, and as, as an ambassador as well. But, you know, like, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm really passionate about those causes and always have been. Has the response to your book surprised you? Yes, it has actually because particularly being female, on female crime, there is a there is an element of salaciousness about that sort of thing that, that people take on. I think, you know, when you, you could almost, I felt, you know, when I sort of tested the waters with trying to raise this, you know, it, it's almost people's eyes light up. It, it sounds like, oh, it's it's fatal attraction. It's a, it's a bit exciting. It's yeah. a bit juicy and, yeah. uh, you know, um, so that I mean that's part of the reason that you don't want to talk about it. It, it, it sounds like oh what a scandal and, and and I felt ridiculous when I when I had the police officer over that I had to say this because it I my fear was that he would be thinking you know he's two women girls yeah fighting over yeah, yeah. man you know? um, he must be super so hot. Look, I, you know like it's it, it that that's the thing with with this sort of thing it's 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 taken quite lightly especially when it's women so my fear yes was that with all the media interest that was there quite quickly that I was very surprised about my fear was that it would be made a bit of a joke of when I was talking about it but I've been really heartened and and pleased that that has not happened at all and um it's been treated with a great deal of respect and I think that's a really promising sign yeah. Well, thank you on behalf of um, anyone being a thank you for me, especially because as a uh, victim survivor of, of many accounts of stalking. So thank I really appreciate your book and I really appreciate it. And I wish it was around when I was being stalked. So thank you for that. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Exposed. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more to come. Episodes are released fortnightly and hit follow so you don't miss out. And for more goodness from your host, visit the show notes. 